Uh, I was asked this morning, like many of you, I assume, uh, how your week's been? Somebody asked me, how's your week been? And I had to stop and think about it for a second. Uh, And mostly that was just to remember, like, what had happened in the week. Like, for a second, I just drew a blank. I was like, I don't know, what did I do this week? What kind of a week has it been? Um, and, And I could honestly answer, it's been a good week. But as I've thought about that question a little bit more, I can also say that even though it's been a good week, it's also been a hard week. And um, I just saw like 17 of you go like this. Um, so I'm going to guess that, that that may be true for some of you as well. Uh, and, and both of those things can happen at the same time. It can be a good week and a hard week at the same time. Um, it, it may be a hard week because you've got stuff going on personally. Maybe a hard week because you've got stuff going on at work. Maybe a hard week because there's stuff going on in the world. This has been one of those kind of weeks. We've we've been faced again, again, with the horror of a shooting at a school. Uh, we are faced again with uh, division and dissension at a national level politically. We've been faced again with the hardship of natural disaster and loss of life uh, among our fellow countrymen. Uh, this week, and those are are hard things. And it's easy to let those things, whether they're big national things that seem beyond our control, or whether they're kind of small personal things that really only affect ourselves and our immediate surrounding, it's, it's easy to let those hard things lead us to despair. But what if this morning they're leading us somewhere else? Uh, We have been journeying through Lent together for the last few weeks, um, remembering who we are, remembering that we come from dust, and to dust we return. We remember that we are a people who wrestle with sin, every one of us. We remember that we are a people who deal with brokenness, both in our world and in our own lives. And we have remembered, thanks to the book of James, which has really been our guide for the last five weeks, that, that brokenness really is at the crux of sin. Broken relationship really is at the crux of our sin, whether it's broken relationship between ourselves and our God or whether it's broken relationship between ourselves and each other. And so we've wrestled through the book of James for the last few weeks and we've looked at some sins that don't really make They don't make Paul's big lists of sins, but they are honestly more the sins that I wrestle with. Maybe the sins that you wrestle with too, sins of division and argumentativeness, sins of um, the way we speak to one another, the violence of our words, uh, sins of, of, of favoritism and of turning our favor toward those who have and away from those who have not. And so we've talked about those over the last few weeks, and we came last week finally at the end of James to a point of confession. And all of this has been leading somewhere. It's all been leading through Lent, remembering all of these things, our brokenness, our sin, our origins. It's all been leading us to Jesus all been leading us to the cross. It's all been leading us to Holy Week. It's all been leading us to uh, this next week. And we remember now in this week new things. We remember, yes, that we are made from dust, but we also remember that we have the breath of God breathed into us. We are not just dust. We remember that we are made from the earth 
but that we are also made in God's image. We remember that we have sinned, but we remember that we are not abandoned in our sin. We remember that we wrestle with brokenness, but that that brokenness can and is being repaired and that we are not unloved in the midst of our brokenness. We remember these things as we come into the final week of Lent, into Holy Week, as we head toward the cross on Easter. We remember that we are wrestling with brokenness, but we are being made whole. And so we come into Holy Week not with despair, which is what hard things often lead us to, but with a sense of hope. At least that's my hope for us, that as we come into this week, this week will fill us up with hope as we remember not just who we are and what we have done, but we remember who our God is and what he has done through Jesus. Holy Week, this last week of Jesus' earthly life, is one of the major focuses of the Gospels. In fact, the Gospels spend really a a lopsided amount of time on this. The Gospels span, for the most part, roughly three years of Jesus' life on earth. But most of the Gospels take place in one week. In fact, one quarter, one quarter of the Gospel of Luke, one third of the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, and fully half of the Gospel of John all take place in the last week of Jesus' life. There might be some important things happening there. Some things that the gospel authors want to draw our attention to. And so we read things like the triumphal entry and the cleansing of the temple. We look at some of Jesus' most pointed and poignant teachings and powerful parables. We see him in that last supper in the upper room with his closest disciples. And we see him in agony in the Garden of Gethsemane as he prays for both the cup to be taken away from him and for the strength to do what God would will. We find him betrayed and arrested. We find him on mock trial before the Sanhedrin, before the Roman governor, before the Jewish puppet king, and then back before the Roman governor again. It's a lot of trial in just a couple of hours. We find him beaten and bloody and mocked. And finally, we find him crucified. The Gospels spend a lot of time talking about these things. And as we find Jesus crucified uh, throughout the Gospels, there are some really incredible things that he says from the cross. In fact, the Gospels mark seven things that Jesus says from the cross. One of those things happens to be in our Lenten reading for today and the lectionary reading for today, which coincide. It's something, honestly, that I didn't remember um, came from somewhere else. In uh, Luke chapter 23, verse 46, we find this. This is one of the seven things that Jesus says from the cross. Then Jesus, crying with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. 
I knew that some of the things that Jesus said from the cross come from Psalm 22. This is not one of them, but it does come from the Psalms, and I had forgotten that. Originally, this line comes from Psalm 31. And so, uh, in kind of an odd twist, uh, we are going to leave the Gospels and head to the Psalms today uh, on this Palm Sunday to explore the origin of this thing that Jesus says. Um, Because as Jesus says to his Father, to his God, I leave myself in your hands, that seems like an appropriate thing for us to say as we have wrestled with our own sin as well, with our own shortcomings, with our own brokenness, with our own heartache and hardship. And if Jesus, though perfect and innocent, felt the need to leave himself in the Father's hands, surely we should feel the same. So feel free to come with me to Psalm 31. We're going to read the entirety of the psalm together. It's not overly long, but uh, it is uh, uh, 20-some verses. So feel free to follow along in your own copy of the Bible or on the wall behind me. The text will be both places. This is Psalm 31, which um, even though it's not uh, up on the wall, it does begin with these words, which I think are interesting. It begins with the, uh, this, a prayer and a praise for deliverance from enemies. In you, O Lord, I seek refuge. Do not let me ever be put to shame. In your righteousness deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. You are indeed my rock and my fortress. For your name's sake, lead me and guide me. Take me out of the net that is hidden for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. You hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will exult and rejoice in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction. You have taken heed of my adversities and have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a broad place. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye wastes away from grief, my soul and body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my misery and my bones waste away. I am the scorn of all my adversaries, a horror to my neighbors, an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me, I have passed out of mind like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel. For I hear the whispering of many, terror all around, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and persecutors. Let your face shine upon your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. Do not let me be put to shame, O Lord, for I call on you. 
Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them go dumbfounded to Sheol. Let the lying lips be stilled that speak insolently against the righteous with pride and contempt. Oh, how abundant is your goodness that you have laid up for those who fear you and accomplished for those who take refuge in you in the sight of everyone. In the shelter of your presence, you hide them from human plots. You hold them safe under your shelter from contentious tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me when I am beset as a city under siege. I had said in my alarm, I am driven far from your sight, but you heard my supplications when I cried out to you for help. Love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful but abundantly repays the one who acts haughtily. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. Into your hands I commit my spirit, the psalmist says. Into your hands I commit my spirit. David says it here in this psalm. This is a psalm of David. Jesus says the exact same words from the cross. Into your hands I commit my spirit, both when they're in distress both when they are in danger, both when they feel life ebbing away, both when they confront brokenness in the world. What do we do when we confront brokenness? We turn to God. We turn to God. Into your hands I commit my spirit. The psalmist says it. The Messiah says it. Perhaps it's something that we should say too. Because we have um, this same kind of Thing that, that they faced, we have to face. Brokenness, distress, horror, terror, enemies even. We have enemies. David describes having adversaries. He describes having enemies. Verses 12 and 13 again. Listen to this. This is uh, verses 12 and 13 that we just read. I have passed out of mind like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel, for I hear the whispering of many, terror all around, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. David is aware that he has enemies. David is talking about, I assume, human enemies. Our enemies may or may not be like David's. They They may or may not be individuals who plot against us. Perhaps there is some office intrigue going on in your life. (laughs) You laugh. That happens. Perhaps our enemies are people who, for whatever reason, um, do not value us, see us but reject us, say that, that we are unlovable, unworthy, For whatever reason, our enemies may be human enemies. Our enemies may be worse than that. They may be um, things that we can't hardly even wrap our minds around. Violence in our world. The distress of the poor and the needy. The plight of children abandoned and hungry. Division. Selfishness. Apathy. Hate, systems that seem to prop up 
the worst of us and abandoned the least of us. These are our enemies as well. And worse than that, we have other enemies still, enemies here. I don't know about you, but often my greatest enemy is myself, my own heart, my own mind, my own selfishness, wickedness. Cartoonist Walt Kelly, um, this phrase jumped into my mind. I had to figure out where it came from this week. And it comes from an an illustrator named Walt Kelly, who back in the 70s was publishing a a comic called Pogo. And uh, in one uh, issue, one one strip, it was a newspaper strip comic, in one newspaper strip of Pogo, we, we find the character Pogo with these words. They jumped into my mind this week. We have met the enemy, and he is us. Often that's my worst enemy, myself. I have found my enemy, he is me. And so we have to wrestle with that. We have to wrestle with the hardship of the world around us. We have to to wrestle with the brokenness of the world around us. We have to wrestle with our own brokenness. We have to wrestle with our own failings. We have to wrestle with our own wickedness, our own selfishness, our own evil. We have enemies, and we cannot save ourselves from them. I really wish that I could, but I am a poor savior, as it turns out. I am not good at saving. Um, I am not particularly good at saving money. I am also very particularly not good at saving myself. I do not have the strength, the wisdom. I'm not tough enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not determined enough, I'm not right enough, I'm not holy enough to save myself. I wrestle with my sin, and I think that we ought to. We've spent the last few weeks talking about that, how essential it is for us to wrestle with the sins that we face. But ultimately, as much and as often as I wrestle, I cannot save myself from my own sin. It's just not possible for me. And my guess is that you probably find yourself in the same boat from time to time. We wrestle, and we grow weary of wrestling. We grow tired of our sin. We grow tired of our brokenness. And we become like David in our psalm, who says this in verses 9 and 10. He says, Be gracious to me, O Lord, For I am in distress. My eye wastes away from grief. For my soul soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow. And my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my my misery. And my bones waste away. You ever felt that? You ever felt that level of trauma? In your life, that's the only word I can think of for this. It's not just misery, it's not just heartache, it's trauma that David is facing. He, he, you get the impression that he almost can't even bring himself to have enough strength to pen this psalm. He's so worn out. He's so weary from the fight. Maybe you feel like this. 
Maybe you, you look at the world around you and you say, it's too much. I can't handle one more act of senseless violence. I can't handle one more story of a marginalized people. I cannot handle one more fight among our politicians that's so stupid. I can't handle one more thing at work. I can't handle one more thing going wrong at home. I can't handle one more fight with my parents, my kids, my friends, my spouse, my coworkers. I can't handle one more disappointment with myself. Does that sound at all familiar to anybody? Maybe not today. Maybe today you are doing really, really well. Maybe today is a good day for you, and if that's the case, I'm really happy, and I rejoice and celebrate with you. Maybe today you're hurting. And if that's the case, I hurt alongside of you, and I want you to know that you're not alone in that pain and that hurt. David felt it. I have felt it. Jesus feels it. What do we do when we run into that level of hurt? What do we do when we run into that kind of continuous brokenness and wrestling? It could lead us to despair, but what if it's leading us somewhere else? What if it leads us instead to hope? What if it leads us to hope? Because David doesn't spend his psalm just saying everything is falling apart. He also senses the reality that we all must sense that God can deliver us. This is the reality that Jesus speaks about from the cross. As he is dying, as he is being executed by the state for no crime that he committed. As he is absorbing the hurt and the humiliation, as he is absorbing the sin and the brokenness of the world. Does he say, I cannot take it anymore? No. He turns in hope to the one who can deliver him. Into your hands I commend my spirit. David does the same thing. Into your hands I commit my spirit. And we must learn to do the same. David acknowledges his enemies, his weaknesses, but he spends most of this psalm in hope. He spends most of the psalm praising God. This psalm is both a praise and a prayer. Remember, that's how it's titled, a praise and a prayer. Those two things can coexist. And so as David prays for and about this brokenness that he faces, this weariness in his soul, he also is praising God because he has hope in God. Because he has hope that God can and will set things right. Because he has hope that God can and will sustain him. Because he has hope that God can and will deliver him. This is what he says in verses 14, 15, and 16. In the middle of all of this brokenness, he says, But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and persecutors. Let your face shine upon your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. David puts his hope in God's deliverance. He puts his hope in God's goodness. This is verse 19. Oh, how abundant is your goodness. 
that you have laid up for those who fear you and accomplished for those who take refuge in you in the sight of everyone. He takes hope in God's love and in God's nearness. This is verse 7. I will exult and rejoice in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction. You have taken heed of my adversities. God is not far away. He is near. That theme continues in verses 21 and 22. Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me when I was beset as a city under siege. I said in my alarm, I am driven far from your sight. But you heard, but you heard my supplications when I cried out to you for help. David takes hope in the fact that God is his safe refuge. We go back to the beginning of our psalm. The first few verses. In you, O Lord, I seek refuge. Do not let me ever be put to shame. In your righteousness deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me. A strong fortress to save me. You are indeed. You are indeed my rock and my fortress. For your name's sake, lead me and guide me. This is what Lent has been leading to. All of our wrestling, all of our brokenness, all of our hurts, all of our, our reminiscence about being dust and returning to dust. All of Lent leads us here. It leads us to the words that David said and the words that Jesus said and the words that we each need to say, into your hands I commit my spirit. For you have delivered me, O Lord, faithful God. This is where Lent leads us, not to despair, but to hope. Lent reminds us that while we must wrestle with our sin, and we cannot deliver ourselves, there is someone who can. Someone who has. God loves you and me enough to, in the midst of our brokenness, step into our world, to become incarnate with us, to become fully one of us, to live life like we do, to experience heartache and hardship like we do, to die on the cross in our place, to show how vast and deep God's love is for us, to deliver us and to redeem us. Our brokenness leads somewhere. It ought to lead us to hope. Our brokenness ought to lead us to hope that we can be healed, hope that we can be restored, hope that brokenness is not all there is. Where is your refuge? God is refuge for David and for Jesus. Where is your refuge? Find it in God. Bring your wrestling, your lament, your brokenness, your sin before God and find refuge in Jesus. We talked about that a little bit last week when we talked about confession. Confession is one of those things that allows us to do that. And, and um, several of you contacted me over the course of the last week. Um, it was very encouraging. Thank you for that contact. And, and talked about your confessions throughout the last week to, 
to each other and to other people in your world. Now, this morning, as we continue to talk about brokenness and hope, I want to remind you that confession is not just a once-in-a-lifetime kind of thing, and it doesn't have to happen just because there's a special service where we're focused on it. Confession is good for us. It's a way to remind us to take refuge in God. It's a way to remember that, that we have placed ourselves in his hands. So continue to look for ways to confess, whether it's to the people in your life that, that you have been carrying animosity for and need to confess, the people in your life that you've hurt, or whether it's to a brother or sister in Christ, a family member, uh, somebody here in the church. And not only do we need that, we also need um, to come before God and place ourselves in his hand in Christian baptism. Um, many of you, I assume, have been baptized. It's possible that some of you have not been. It's possible that, that, that some of you here today um, have been in church for a long, long time and you've never made a choice for yourself to say, I am going to place myself in the hand of God. I'm going to commit myself to him. I'm going to be baptized and receive uh, clothing in Christ as Paul talks about it. And if that's the case, let's talk about that. Come and find me. Come and find Meg. Come and find any member of the lead team. Especially with Easter next week and an invitation to new life is, is right there. So if baptism is something that you've never done, something that you've thought about but never moved forward on, come and talk with us about that. We'd love to do that. And we come every week also to put ourselves in the hand of God at the table. We remind ourselves of what Jesus has done. As we take the bread and we take the cup, we remember his sacrifice, we remember how he said, into your hand I commit my spirit, and we say the same thing in our communion. Our communion is a confession, is a covenant with God. Our communion is a, a place of refuge. This table is a place where we remember that God is not far away from us, he's near and he saves. And so we move forward into the end of Lent and in, into our lives and into the world of this week with hope. Christ is here. God loves us. God is our refuge. With that, we want to move into um, our time around the table. Not my table, not your table, not the church's table, but Christ's table. He has said it and the invitation is his to come and to declare into your hands I commit my spirit I need Jesus because I am a poor savior I need Jesus because I have met the enemy and he is me I need Jesus because life's just hard I need Jesus even when life is good I need Jesus so this morning, uh, we're going to come uh, receive the elements, take them back to our seats, and when we've all been served, we'll take communion together as a body. If this morning, uh, as we come to take communion, you need some time of prayer, do that. Write in your seat or, or squirrel away to a corner somewhere in the building and spend some time in prayer. If you need to talk to somebody as you come to communion, there are people to talk to. Come and talk with Meg, with myself. Maybe this morning you need to talk to somebody that you're here with. 
Say, hey, this is what's going on. This is how I'm feeling. I just want you to know. But we come to communion. We remember into your hands I commit my spirit. As we come to our communion, as we do each week, we come at a moment of confession uh, to remind ourselves that we are a people who are in need. So if you are willing and able, would you please stand with me and join with me together in these words of confession today as we come to the table.